I want to talk now about the armour of God. Ephesians 6. Most of us have been brought up with the teaching that we need to be conscious of the armour and we go through the routine of putting it on. Bit of a pantomime, I always think. But what are we doing? What do we mean? And this is one of the things I've been questing with the Lord recently, having been subjected to various ideas about what the armour is and isn't, what it does and doesn't mean, and nothing really having hit the spot for me. The first thing you need to have is the knowledge of your protection, because your protection is in the armour that you wear. And what I'm about to say now is something I gleaned from Graham Cook. The traditional view of wearing the armour generally is that the helmet of salvation protects our thoughts. We are girded by the belt of truth which holds our weaponry. We are covered by the integrity of the breastplate and we're walking in peace. We're protected by the shield of faith which we have to keep in place and our mind is renewed by using the scriptures as a sword. There's nothing wrong with this and I'm sure you'll have other versions yourselves which are equally valid. The thing to remember is that the enemy has specific targets that he wants to seek and destroy and the first thing he will take out or try to take out is your mind. Therefore the very first thing he will do is lie to you. Did God really say? It's imperative that we have a revelation from God at this point to undergird our ability to fight. In other words, we need to hear a word from God for this particular situation that we can obey. And to do this, we need to practice stillness and peace in the face of the conflict. I had a nasty situation at the end of last year and when I finally got still, the Lord spoke to me and said, I need you to go through this. It didn't make it any easier, I still had the problem, but in his grace he was showing me this is part of your growth, this is part of your training, and it's vital you go through it. That word saw me through. It was my revelatory word for my situation. So, the belt of truth. Looking at the armour, the belt of truth is what God is specifically saying to us in our current circumstances. Like my word, I need you to go through this. It's the rhema word, revelatory knowledge, not just the general truth of scripture. You need a revelation about the circumstance you're in and the fight that is against you. That is your belt of truth. Revelation knowledge, straight from the throne, specific to your particular circumstance or problem. An example from the word would be this, Jehoshaphat and the enemy coming up the hill at Ziz. This is not a good situation. Uh, they are surrounded and facing annihilation and Jehoshaphat is desperate to hear from God what they can do. There they all are, such a poignant moment. All there with their little ones too, totally helpless, looking to the Lord, as Jehoshaphat says. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on you. So reading from 2 Chronicles 20 verse 5 and following. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, 
in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not the ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands, so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, or a sword, or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Zir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and didn't destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. The first thing he does is to go to God and remind him of what he's done in the past. Then he calls upon his sovereign God to help them in their distress. Then he tells the Lord they're powerless without his help. God loves this, total dependency on him. With the result that Jehaziel gets the prophetic word that wins the battle, which incidentally isn't theirs, it's the Lord's, and they end up in worship. With that revelatory knowledge, his Rima word, the battle was won with ease. So you get your word for the situation first. And we come to the breastplate. The next thing that you'll have to deal with are the enemy's accusations. And they'll be against your faith, against your weaknesses. We have to learn how to put condemnation off quickly because that will come and we do that by focusing on God's righteousness which is imputed to us 
as a platform for our faith. So the breastplate of righteousness is the covering of God himself. We do not stand in our own righteousness. The enemy will want us to focus on our performance, which he'll tell you is pretty dire, and I can agree with that. But the breastplate allows me to focus on my acceptance as a child of God because of Jesus' work on the cross. As we appropriate by the exercise of our faith the finished work of the cross during times of stress and difficulty, you will see how you come into more and more of the fullness Christ won for you and your heart will lift and your spirit will soar. Faith is a choice. You either choose to believe in the finished work or you don't. You will always find this battle between your performance and your acceptance. The breastplate of righteousness is your acceptance before God. And in the righteousness of Christ you are accepted in the Beloved. So it's about your acceptance, not your performance. And you stand unmoved in that, no matter what you feel like. And the Gospel of Peace that your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace means that you know how to rest on the battlefield. We operate from a place of peace and rest because rest is a weapon against the enemy that he cannot penetrate. This is why it's imperative that you believe God when he says you are his and you are in the beloved. There may well be an onslaught, there may be a backlash, You've got to be prepared for God's peace to make a difference to you. So you have to look for peace, stay in peace, stand in peace. Where's my peace? It's around here somewhere. You know how to rest, so you're on the battlefield with the sword in your hand and God spreads a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Psalm 23. You have to learn to rest in warfare. The enemy wants you hopping all over the place, panicky, anxious, fearful. But rest is a weapon and it's a discipline that we develop day after day after day. Working at our peace level in all situations that life throws at us. This is an ongoing discipline. This is why it's imperative that the first thing we do in warfare is always towards God. We step back into him and in so doing we step into his peace. You do not go up against the enemy or anything else until you're in peace. No point. You have to learn to wait. Learn to wait. That's why waiting in God is such an important discipline. Understand that when a lion hunts, he gets as close to his prey as possible and then he moves with a short, explosive burst of power, but he has no stamina for running. A lion can only run in short bursts, maybe 100 yards maximum. If he doesn't catch his prey in that time, he loses interest and wanders off. Just like the devil, he wander away. 
Graham Cook tells the story of when he went into the bush with a tracker and an assegai spear, a bottle of water and very little else. His tracker, who he said could track over concrete, told him about the lion and likened it to the devil. The devil has no patience, no stamina. He wants a quick kill, an easy victory and an easy target. So we're in the Lord, absorbed with him, and the enemy, he wander away. He has no stomach or stamina for a long fight. He wander away. If you find that you are being tripped up by him over the same issues time and again, it may be it's time you step back into God and ask him what heaven is saying about your situation. One thing of which you can be certain, it will not be negative, no matter how difficult or besetting your problem is. God wants to be something for you in your current struggle where the enemy is having lamb sandwich for lunch. It's always a question of position. Ephesians 1, 18 to 2, 7. And you see from this scripture that it's a question of position. You have established this is a warfare situation and now you have to know where to place your feet. How do I stand? So many times God has told his people to stand and see. So before we face the enemy, we need to learn to stand in the face of God. This enables our minds to be set on God. So our vision is restored. We see straight. Then we can plant our feet in the truth and we're in a position to confess with our mouth what God is speaking to us in the circumstances. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. In warfare, we submit to God first. All our activity is always God-centred and God-based before we go out against the enemy. As with the individual, so with the corporate. There is a vital routine that the Holy Spirit will always take us through before we join the battle. Because we need to know our assurance of victory. We need to know the cover that our position affords us and the support that we have from heaven. The Holy Spirit will always promote the work and person of the Lord Jesus in your life. You have to let him do his work. It's foundational to our success in warfare, the doctrine of being in Christ and in the body because whatever is in Jesus is in his people. Every believer is in Christ, united with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Father. God raised up Jesus to a place of supreme authority, far above all rule, all authority, all dominion. And he seated Christ in that place, Ephesians 1.20. And wonder of wonders, he made us sit with him, Ephesians 2.6. Therefore, whatever is under his feet is under ours also. And because we are in Christ, we fight from victory, not towards it. We don't ask for victory. We thank God we have it. We are in Christ and we partake of all the power and significance he is releasing. 
so we have cover because of our position in Christ. We are planting our feet in him and the Holy Spirit gives us power to stand. He also gives us power to be seated in heavenly places. Our inheritance is not just a geographical place, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. He is our inheritance and we are his. And as we stand in Christ and enter our spiritual inheritance, then God sets the boundaries of what's going to happen. In warfare, there's always something to be gained. God is enlarging us in distress, and there's both increase and multiplication. That's what the fight is all about. It isn't fighting for the sake of fighting. It's because God wants to give us something, wants to increase us, wants to multiply us. God is a God of multiplication, not division, but of increase and multiplication. You will always come out of a fight with something in your hand. It's brilliant. We need the spiritual reality of our inheritance in Christ, who is made unto us so many things in God. Then we come into the physical position of working out our salvation in battle against the world, the flesh and the devil. To do that effectively, you have to speak the same words that God is speaking. You have to see yourself the way God sees you and come into agreement with him about your destiny and your purpose. You match his intentionality towards you with yours towards him. So our mind is set on God, our feet are planted in Christ, our mouth has to be opened by the Holy Spirit. So confession is a critical part of warfare. We have to confess towards God first. You are the Lord. We are your people. There is a confession towards God before we ever get into anything against the enemy. You have to confess your position to God. It's part of your praise. Remember what we saw with Jehoshaphat. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and he said, O Lord the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham your friend forever? This is who you are. This is who we are. You are the Lord. We are your people. We confess who he is. He is Lord. He is sovereign. He is king. Ephesians 6.10 Be strong in the Lord. Strength comes by agreement. Amos 3.3 3. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? We're agreeing with him who he is. We're agreeing with him who we are. We are standing before him in absolute confidence that he will hear us and respond to us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8, 26 and 27. He's our helper. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. In every spiritual attack, our first response is to know God and come to him. To be occupied with God, to be filled with the Spirit, 
to embrace all that God is and all that Christ has done and cooperate with all the Holy Spirit is doing. All those things taken together is the basis of spiritual power which leads us into the next phase of what we're doing which is then the outworking of that spiritual power as we face the enemy. So we're focusing on God as an urgent priority. When you focus on God, the spirit of truth comes and that means we can't be deceived because you get into real worship in the presence of God and he comes and truth comes with him and we can learn to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and these words become a reality to us, not just words on a page. One of the primary weapons the enemy uses in warfare is the weapon of intimidation. You only need a casual read of 1 Samuel 17 to see that intimidation was a method used by the Philistines against Israel to great effect. The method of warfare seems to be who can outdo the other in breathing out threats and curses. Remember Paul when he was Saul was breathing out threats and curses at the Christians. At this point in the story Israel were trembling in their boots in the camp when David arrives and his brothers are less than pleased to see him. In fact they are particularly noxious towards him accusing him of having a hidden agenda and neglecting his father's sheep never mind about the cheese sandwiches he's brought them. As the story unfolds, we see David's declaration about the living God. He persistently says, Who are these uncircumcised Philistines that they should speak this way about the living God? He keenly feels the insult that's been thrown towards Israel about God's inability to deliver them and he desires to have a crack against the enemy. Saul offers him his armour, man's way of doing things, and David, after giving it a try, declines. He will do it God's way, or he won't do it at all. Meanwhile, Goliath is breathing out threats, intimidation. When you come into warfare, the enemy will breathe out threats. What if? Did God really say? At that point, you will remember he is a liar. He will be questioning the living God. He doesn't change his tactics. Possibly one of the places you'll find the most intimidation is within the body of Christ itself. We're not used to warfare and people will try to dissuade you if, like David, you look like wanting to take the enemy on. Nevertheless, David marches out and does some intimidating himself. Just look at the language. Oh yeah, pal, I'll teach you something too. Before the day's out, I'll have your head off your shoulders and in a carrier bag. How do you like those apples? And as Goliath comes towards him, he runs towards this giant of a man. David's confidence is not misplaced. The living God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear delivers Goliath into his hands with one slingshot. And as Graham would say, it's David, David, show us the head. And he's carrying this thing around in a Safeway bag, showing anyone who asks. One with God is a majority. 
David has already been trained in warfare, having been left alone when the bear and the lion had threatened the flock, and he caught it by the beard and killed it, it says. In other words, he was trained in battle. This boy was not wet behind the ears when it came to taking on the enemy. It's David who says in the Psalms, It is God who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. Psalm 114 verse 1 And for us, it's God the Holy Spirit who trains our hands for battle. And when the living God sends us out, victory is assured. The final point is that intimidation is part of warfare. That's why when God gives us our word for the situation in which we find ourselves, we use it as a sword of authority against the enemy's threats and intimidation. And we use it with confidence, knowing that the living God is with us and the battle is his. To end with, I want to say a little bit about faith versus presumption. Faith is when God tells you to do something impossible and you move out and do it. Presumption is when you move out and do something without battle orders. When we look at spiritual warfare, we must remember that the captain of the host is Jesus and there is a real difference between faith and presumption. Sometimes what we think is faith is actually presumption and presumption can get you into a whole heap of trouble. Let's just look at an example from the scriptures. Numbers 13 to 14:45, And Moses here has sent the spies out to look over the promised land. God has said it's theirs and they've just returned from going in to have a look. However, 10 of the 12 have brought back a bad report which causes the whole congregation to murmur against Moses. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two who say, let us go up at once and take possession because we are well able. That's Caleb speaking in Numbers 13.30. He knew God had given them the promised land and he was prepared to go in and possess it. This is rank unbelief, disobedience and rebellion on the part of Israel. And Joshua, verse 9 of chapter 14 do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. He recognises that to not go in is disobedience, because God has given them this land to possess. But the people refuse to go up in numbers, and as a result God brings a plague on them. And the first ones to go are those who brought a negative report. Verse 37. The survivors, realising they've blown it with God, hasten to put the situation right and go up presumptuously against the people in the land. They're trying to repair the damage they've done by their own efforts. Moses says in verse 42, Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. Chilling words. They were soundly defeated. The lesson here is that disobedience in a battle situation invariably brings distress. They were needless casualties of war. So I want to recommend a book to you by John Paul Jackson. It's entitled Needless Casualties of War. Written nearly 10 years ago now, but it is as relevant now as it was then, perhaps even more so. 
The premise of this book is that people are going out there, doing things in presumption and becoming casualties. If you are going out there attacking the enemy when God hasn't given you permission, what you have just done is opened a door for the enemy to attack in your own life and sometimes in the lives of others. Many people are living in a backlash that should never have happened if they hadn't moved out in presumption. If you are moving in the authority and within the parameters God has given you, presumption and backlash will not be in your vocabulary. When we're in a warfare situation, we always follow the orders of our commanding officer. We have been given authority to tread on snakes and scorpions. But if you are not living in the reality of Christ and you're moving out against the enemy, you are on really shaky ground. Sometimes intercessors are particularly vulnerable here. The time for storming the ramparts has gone and the time for bridal intercession has come. So if your intercessory group is still storming the ramparts, they need to think about coming to the throne room for counsel and guidance from the Lord. We're in a season where God desires intimacy. This book talks about the parameters of authority, about warfare in the second heaven. It gives practical guidelines for warfare, but it's also cautionary. Because as much as we hate the enemy, we need to respect him also. And there is a profound lack of respect generally in the body of Christ. Satan is a powerful enemy. He's a liar, he's a deceiver, but he's a very powerful liar and a very powerful deceiver. But he has power and we need to respect that while magnifying the Lord Jesus. I have known people afflicted physically because they've been disrespectful towards the enemy. Once we discovered their sin and they repented, healing came. Just be aware, the battle you are engaged in is very, very real and any help we can get we really do need. And I highly recommend this book. So everything that God gives us must take us onto the battlefield or it's useless. If what you gain from God doesn't teach you to fight, doesn't put a greater deposit within you, I question it. If it doesn't cause you to stand up on the inside and want to move against the enemy, I question it. As well as having a passion for Jesus, an intense love for Christ, we must have an equally intense hatred of the devil and all his works. It's the two together that takes us out on the battlefield. Just having a passion for Jesus will keep us in the temple. It won't get us out into the war. We need to have a hatred of the devil, really just want to spoil his day by being the very best that we can be, by spreading the goodness of God around us. We're caught up in a global war and we're still learning. Whatever God tells us in our own experience has got to be backed up in scripture. And if you cannot earth it in scripture, don't do it. If you can't earth what you are proposing to do in the scriptures, do not do it, because that is your boundary. Anything outside of that means you're probably going to step into presumption one way or another. 
So I want to close today by giving you the opportunity to do a practical on the things I've spoken about and to recommend a book by Graham Cook which is called God's Keeping Power. In the introduction he says that unless we know God as the one with power to save and keep us in the critical moments of life, we will never contend against the enemy or set foot on the battlefield where danger is present. As you're beginning to see, spiritual warfare is primarily about your relationship with God and secondarily with those around you. You cannot aspire to being a warrior unless your relationships are right. And I've adapted an exercise from the end of Graham's book and there are eight in this book and they're extremely good. They will keep you busy if you apply yourself to them and will certainly form Christ in you. So I would highly recommend it. I'll give you the title again and it is God's Keeping Power. If you're on the um, internet it's available from a brilliant book house uh, as a, an e-book. You can download it from there as an e-book. So it's very, very good. And as always, I'm indebted to Graham for his teaching on this subject. So the email address again, or the website address, is www.brilliantbookhouse.com. So you can download it there as an e-book or order a copy. And the exercise is that you read the following scriptures for those of you listening on a CD. John 15 verse 9, Romans 12 verse 10, Colossians 3 verses 12 to 17, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13, 1 Peter 4 verse 8, Matthew 5, 21-24 And what you need to do is to think about your relationships family, friends, work colleagues, acquaintances and then align your feelings towards these people with the following Love means being patient and expressing kindness Do you? Love does not hold offences, grudges or keep a record of wrong. Do you? Love is unselfish and thoughtful. Are you? Love bears all things and thinks the best of others at all times. Do you? Forgiving and forgetting offences is the hallmark of the love of God at work in us. Is it in you? Love is not easily provoked and doesn't seek vengeance, do you? Love shows in its actions towards others, do you? Love allows people to change and develop, do you? Love allows people to be different and enjoys the variety, do you? Can you think of a situation recently when you didn't fully express the love the Holy Spirit was wanting you to show? 
Do you need to make amends in some way? If so, phone them, write to them, speak to them. Be reconciled. Act on what he's showing you. And above all, be blessed. Well, marathon maybe. Thank you so much for listening. Father, I want to thank you and bless you and praise you that you are the almighty eternal God. Thank you, Father, that we are the eternal companion of an incredible king. Father, would you make it reality to us that that is who we are, that we place our feet in two places at once, on the earth and in the heavenlies, but that, Father, our destiny is not here but there with you, that that is where we will spend eternity, the eternal companion of a magnificent and incredible king. Father, would you bless these stammering lips? Will you bless these stammering words? And would your word come through, Father? Would you blow away everything that wasn't of you, Lord Jesus? I just want to bless you, Father, for who you are and the process that you got us in and the way that, Holy Spirit, you are so brilliant with us. Just thank you so much for who you are, Father. Just adore you, Jesus. I bless you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Just as a tale, if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing and you have a computer, uh, look on www.psalm131.com and you'll see everything that Oasis is currently uh, attempting to do for the kingdom. Amen. God bless you and thank you so much for listening. If you continue to listen to this CD, we popped on the end an iPod, iPod recording of Graham Cook's recently about an acceleration, a divine acceleration. It was a free download, so we're not um, contravening any copyright laws, and uh, you will enjoy it if you continue to listen uh, and step into the opportunity that God is holding out for us all. God bless you again. <laughs> We are in a season of divine acceleration. There's a quickening spirit abroad in the earth. The Lord is redeeming time because the days we're living in are becoming progressively more wicked. Time is the currency that our lives are running on, not money. God redeems time by speeding up the process by which we are transformed. I say to you that there is a quickening spirit upon your life should you choose to accept it. What you thought would take years will take months. What you thought would take months will take weeks. What you thought would take weeks will take days. The favor of the Lord is upon you to accelerate your development in this next 12 months. The Lord will give you five years growth in the next 12 months. But <laughs> you have to learn to run. You must say yes much faster and mean it. 
you must stick with the process. Acceleration is a paradox. It's not always easy, but it is hugely enjoyable. I believe the Lord would say to you, this is how I want you to see the next 12 months. It's a crash course in the glory of your God. In the next 12 months, as you progress, as you speed up in the Spirit, you will receive an anointing to live life at a high level. I will renew you in the spirit of your mind. I will open your heart. Your eyes of your heart will be enlightened and you will see the hand of God everywhere in your life. You will learn to look at your, at your life through my eyes and you will see what I am seeing. And your heart will be overwhelmed with joy and with laughter. There will be a faith that rises up. There are many quick victories that I intend to give you. Do not look at the next 12 months in the way that you've looked at the last 10 years. I'm giving you new eyes. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new mind. You will perceive totally differently. You will believe more freely and you will think the way that I think. Because this is what I'm doing. I'm elevating your thinking to my level. You will think on a level that I think. You will behold in the spirit what I am beholding. You will understand that what I'm holding out to you, and you will take the provision of your God and spread it around in your own life. You'll come into a place of successive, easy and quick victories. There will be some situations, though, says the Lord, when I will deliberately hold up victory just for a while so that your revenge on the enemy can be complete. There will be times, says the Lord, when I will allow the enemy to contend with you so that I may establish you in something deep and powerful and profound. The Father says, when you come into a situation that is resisting you, I want you to smile. Because the hand of your God is with you. And I intend, through the resistance, to give you a double portion. It's not about what the enemy is doing. It's about what I am allowing. I will allow him to come against you so that I may give you a double portion, and that I may increase the anointing upon you in those days. And your life will be a balance of easy victories and times when the enemy will contend. But it is on those days of contention that I have a divine increase for you. The Father says, look for increase in a time when the power seems to have slowed down. Look for the increase and stand and worship. You will know me, for I will reveal myself to you, and I will come to you. I will establish in you the very things that I want you to have, and you will behold the power of your God. You will start to think with a level of wisdom and intelligence you've never seen before. You'll start to see in the realm of the Spirit in a way you've never seen before. 
And out of your mouth will come words of faith, says the Lord. You will completely lose the ability to worry or be anxious because I am making war on anxiety. I'm making war on panic. I'm making war on fear. You will not be subject to those things, but you will know your God. You will be strong in the Lord and you will do exploits this next 12 months. You'll do exploits in your own life. When those things are established in you, I will lead you. I will bring you across the path of people who are victims in the area that you have just broken through on. And you will assist them. You will help them. You'll be a breakthrough anointing to them. As they break through, your anointing will go to a deeper level. So that as you give out, so the anointing in you will increase and abide and it will abound. In this way, says the Lord, in the next 12 months, you will make years and years of growth. You will become the man and woman you were always supposed to be. And you will come into a place where nothing will overwhelm you. You will come into a place where you will cease to be a foot soldier in the body of Christ. You will take on the stature of a warrior. Like one of David's mighty men, I will cause a greatness to rise up within you. Even as you come to the end of this 12 months of training, says the Lord, I will begin to show you and declare to you what your personal inheritance is, so that you may be a stakeholder in the territory of the Spirit that I choose to bestow upon you. You will come into your ministry, you will come into your anointing, you will come into your place of abundance, you will come into your place of favor and inheritance. You will begin to get an idea of what your assignment is, you will know who you are, you will know your identity, and you will know your inheritance. You will begin to stand in and trade upon the favor that is present over your life. In this next 12 months, you'll see the glory of God in your own life, in your own circumstances. And I'll cause you to rise up and occupy a place of overcoming. You shall overcome yourself, and then you will no longer be your own worst enemy. But when you have conquered yourself, then I will send you out on a great adventure. Nothing will overwhelm you. Because I will teach you that every obstacle is indeed an opportunity and every opposition can be laid low. That which will rise up in you in this next 12 months will be nothing less than the sovereignty and the declared majesty of your God. It is my intention, says the Father, that you would know me and that you would be strong, that you would be filled to overflowing with the goodness of God, that you would know the majesty of God, that you would have the joy of the Lord, that the power of God will overshadow you and erupt within you. You will no longer be the person that you once were, but I will turn you into a different man and a different woman. This next 12 months is for you to discover who I am for you. It's for you to come to a place of trust, a place of peace, a place of rest, and a place of faith. It's for you to discover who I am for you 
as your father. I intend to enjoy myself this year, because during this year, you will actually stop whining. You'll begin worshipping instead. I intend to enjoy myself, beloved. In this next twelve months, I want to bring you into a place where your life is a joy and a delight to yourself, where you will enjoy your life and you will be delighted with your life and you will be ecstatic about who you are becoming. I'm going to banish low self-esteem. I will do violence to self-hatred. I'll bring you into a place where you're happy and relaxed about who you are because when I look at you, I'm happy. I'm relaxed.